Oh, boy. I've been waiting for this for, like, years. <laughs> oh, man. So here it is, girls. It's a nice, long thing. But it's in print font size 18, so easy. Can you hear me? Oh, really? Okay. Does that mean I need a microphone? That's going to be something. But I can do it. I raised four boys. You know, I know I how to do it. I tried earlier to get the darn thing to come up, and okay. I can't get it to go up. Okay. I'm really sorry. It's okay. It's okay. Can you hear you me now? Try? I, I can you hear? Oh. <laughs> Are you worried? <laughs> okay. Now, can you yes. hear me? Yes. Does this do that? Oh, it does. Great. <laughs> oh, man. So, you know, the nerves, when the nerves start in and your hands are freezing cold, and then your mouth gets really dry, and then your back starts spasming. <laughs> hey! <laughs> oh, you're recording me. Sorry. <laughs> you know what? Um, no, that'll work. I'll just move this. Here. Oh, when, look at you, darling. What height would you like it? Um, it's moving. You I choose. think I'm there. Okay, this doesn't count as my time yet, right? No. <laughs> right. Okay, how's that? Can you still hear me? Did I turn it off? Oh, yeah. There we go. There we go. <laughs> okay, good. All right. I am so happy to be here. And... Thank you for inviting me a second time, and um, you've been on my heart. I know I'll be, I'll be in and out of weepiness because I haven't slept very well for a couple nights. And I have been so blessed by this study um, when Mary Lynn first contacted me. So last year when I was preparing for you, it was a different study. And it was one I had done before, so I was reworking on it. And when Mary Lynn contacted me, was that in December, late December? November, December, yeah. Yeah, and she, she told me that, this is what she told me, and um, that she wanted me to focus on the names of God and how they align with his attributes and how that affects us. And <laughs> there's an old movie that my family loves to watch, The Homecoming, it's the Waltons, and at one point, John Boy is explaining what the crash was, you know, the depression, the crash, and the one little Walton boy, he does this. <laughs> That's what I did after I got off the phone. <laughs> you didn't tell me that. <laughs> well, and it was because that's everything, you know, really. That is exactly what we should be talking about, like you said, Candace, to know God. That's it. You know, and so it was one of those things, though. I felt like a little girl that was going to explain to my class what the ocean was by bringing three cup measures full of ocean water. I mean, in the, in the 45 to, you know, an hour and a half that I'm allotted for each of my talks. <laughs> I'm kidding. It won't be an hour and a half, but it'll be pretty close to an hour. Um, to talk about the triune God his names and his attributes and how that should affect us, we're never going to even scratch the surface. I don't know if you did this art project as a kid where you colored, you made a design on your paper and you colored really hard with a crayon 
and then you covered it with black tempera paint. Anybody remember this yeah. fun yeah. art project? Then you scratched off your picture, mm -hmm. and the color came through, but most of the picture remained black, right? Mm -hmm. That's what this feels like. We could be scratching a picture on that black tempera for the rest of our life, and we will never reveal all the color and all the beauty of our God. And so the little bit of time we're spending, I'm going to encourage all of you that you make it your life, your life's goal to keep uncovering and studying hard. Because when we just take a look at his character and his attributes and his titles and his names, we will never plumb the depths. So I, um, I have been blessed. I'm the one that got blessed here. Abundant, overflowing to spend the last four months studying. And I read through the Bible every year. I shared that with you last time if you were here. It's um, a discipline that I could not have done myself. Only the Lord did it. It's a miracle because I'm the slowest reader on the planet. I read and I fall asleep. I get through two pages of a novel a night. That's it. Done. You know, so one of those big honkers takes me two years. And that doesn't work if you're checking it out from the library. <laughs> I have to buy every book I'm planning to read. <laughs> anyway, my Bible reading has just jumped out, and I thought, oh, I want to share that. Oh, I want to share that. And obviously, it's too much. So, you know, this is what I did to trim down. <laughs> um, I have, uh, I don't know what Bibles y'all use, but this Bible I have found to be extremely helpful in my study. It's a study Bible, so there's great references. There's great information in the back. It's been very helpful in this study. And um, I have taken a course from Ligonier Ministry done by R.C. Sproul. Um, I've listened to Alistair Beggs, John Piper, Timothy Keller. I read that book that you recommended, Mark Jones, God Is. I love blueletterbible.com. How many of you know what that is? Okay, will you look it up, okay? blueletterbible.com and it's just a wealth of information you tech savvy gals like some of you might have logos do you have the program some of you might that was a little complicated for me i couldn't figure out how to get rid of stuff once i opened it so it was like this massive thing um, but blueletterbible.com precept austin precept austin is another online resource that's fabulous lots of available commentary. And so um, I'm just encouraging you, if you are falling in love more, which is what I've been praying, that our hearts will be soft. You know, sometimes when we hear old treasures, we go, yeah, I got that one. I heard it all my life, Sunday school, church. And we don't hear it fresh and new. So I've been praying that you would hear the word of God fresh and new this morning and this evening when you're sleepy. I have my super soaker so I can, you know, squirt you <laughs> if you start to do that. Um, anyway, I encourage you to take this study and also be a Berean. What you hear, I'm just a fallible human. And so what you hear, if you have questions, talk to me, talk to somebody, talk to your pastor, do your own research if you're not sure. Okay, so would you pray with me? <clears throat> oh Lord, I am so thankful for your love that you would grant to us this weekend together. 
Thank you, Father, for your word that teaches us about you. And Father, I pray we would have ears to hear and that your Holy Spirit would have the freedom to use your word and apply it to our lives. Oh Lord, help us make us to love you more. You are worthy, worthy, worthy. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 9, 1 and 2. Oh, you know what? You have your notes with all those scriptures listed. I've, I've tried my best to write down all the scriptures that I have highlighted here. I'm going to clickety-click. So if you don't make it there, it's okay. I'm sorry, but we've got a lot to cover. <laughs> Psalm 9, 1 and 2 and 7 and 10. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. The Westminster Catechism says, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. K. Arthur says, to glorify him means to live in such a way that our lives truly demonstrate who he is. I love that definition of glorifying God. But how can we demonstrate truly who he is if we don't know him. J.I. Packer, Knowing God. Have any of you read that book? Oh, it is rich, rich, rich. And this is what he says. What were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set for ourselves in life? To know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? Knowledge of God. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. John 17, 3. What is the best thing in life bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? Knowledge of God. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. What of all the states God ever sees man in gives God most pleasure? The knowledge of himself. In Hosea 6, 6, God says, I desired the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. This is still J.I. Packer. Once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. What makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective, something which catches our imagination and lays hold of our allegiance. And this is the Christian, this the Christian has in a way that no other person has for what higher 
more exalted and more compelling goal can there be than to know God? Is this true of us? Or is it just to have an hour of peace and quiet? Is it true of us that to know God, to glorify God, to enjoy God is the goal of our life? God is infinitely bigger than our finite minds can understand. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Psalm 145. His greatness is unsearchable, but God invites us to know him. He is a personal triune God who graciously reveals himself to us and desires us to know him. He's revealed, to, uh, revealed himself to us through his word. Always the one that condescends and stoops down to us. In the scriptures, he reveals himself through his actions, like creating, judging, redeeming. He reveals himself through images and analogies. We all love the fact that he calls himself our father, our husband, the rock, our shepherd. He reveals himself through his attributes, his essential characteristics. And those are, those are revealed through his actions and images. Also, he is our loving Heavenly Father, our wise judge, our strong rock. And of course, the Bible reveals who God is through his names and his titles. The names, names like Mary Lynn was saying earlier, have great purpose and meaning in the Bible. Abram became Abraham. Sarai became Sarah. They named their boy Isaac, which meant laughter because she couldn't believe she was pregnant at 90-some. I wouldn't be able to believe that either. And, you know, Jacob was renamed Israel. Jacob meant deceiver. Israel meant father of a nation. So, you know, the names and titles that God gives himself or allows himself to be named bring us into a greater understanding of who he is. We struggle in our limitations of how to describe God. R.C. Sproul has a great sermon called, I am the Lord and there is no other. And he talks about three ways that we humans try to describe God. One is in the way of negation what he is not. He is um, not finite like we humans. He is infinite. He's not bound by any limits. He is not changeable. That's called immutable. His, we change. We grow old. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is not mortal. He is immortal or eternal. Another way we try to describe God is that we take normal human characteristics and then we magnify them to the nth degree. We have power, but he has all power, omnipotence. We have knowledge, but he has all knowledge, omniscience. We, have, we can be present in time and place, but God can be present everywhere, so he is omnipresent. And then the fourth way that R.C. Sproul says we, we define God or describe him is that the way of affirmation, which is, are the things that are clearly his. Was that you, Donna, that brought that up? The two, yeah. 
those things that are uniquely him, like his holiness and his otherness and his self-existence. God is all-loving, all-merciful, all-just, all-righteous, all-wise, all-good, all-joy, all-holy, all-sovereign. He hates sin and is a God of wrath over sin. And he is jealous for his people. He is all of these things all of the time, eternally. We love to focus on just the ones that we like, you know, and fashion God just the way we want him. But he is all of that all of the time. I don't know if you ever sit in church and let the sunlight come through the window and hit your diamond ring if you have one, or fake glass if that's what you've got, and, and try to make those shiny parts, you know, shine on people's face or dance around. <laughs> or you get your little kids looking. Oh. And, you know, I think about that multifaceted ring where it's all reflecting this glory. That is our God. He is multifaceted. Our brains just can't take it in. It's, it's too much. But it is so important for us to continue to push in to, to know him better. And our great and personal He's a personal God, is a triune God. One God, three persons, not three different gods. They're the same, they are of the same essence or being, having all the same attributes and character, but each one of them is their own person. Now that is just mind-boggling, isn't it? But when we talk about God being holy, wise, just Jesus is the exact replica of the Father. The Holy Spirit is that also. All three, all of this. Mankind was invited into this holy, beautiful, magnificent union. God created man and he first he created the earth and we we were we were made in his image and we got to be i mean mankind was put in the garden and yet before the foundation of that world before anything was made god knew what man would do and he still chose to make us tim keller has a great sermon i can't remember the name of the sermon but it, he talks about um, what happened in the Garden of Fall, and he talked about a clock, a very fancy, beautifully made clock. And you open the door, and all the gears are working just as they should. And what would happen if one of those gears, one of those important gears, decided to, that it wanted to go higher, and so it pops off its gear shaft to go higher and instead goes lower. And suddenly there's a horrible screeching sound, and the clock doesn't work like it was supposed to. He said, that's what happened at the fall. Man wanted to go higher. He wanted to be God. And in that moment, all of the world changed. That was it. Man was made with great love and for great purpose. To love, serve, and obey and enjoy his master, the Lord God. But he didn't want God as a master. He wanted to be his own master and everything. All of creation groans because of it. For we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
but our loving, triune God, all wise, full of mercy and love, had already planned our redemption. Alistair Begg said it this way. I love this. I hope you will listen and try to find this sermon that he... Alistair Begg said it this way. In the eternal councils... I wish I could do as Irish or Scottish. <laughs> I mean, or English, whatever he is. What is he? Who said Scottish. it? Scottish, thank you. In the eternal councils of God, reduced to an understandable level, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit commune with one another. And God the Father said, I will plan their redemption. God the Son said, I, by my death, will procure their redemption. God the Holy Spirit said, I will come and apply their redemption. Now what's that going to involve? Well, said the Father to the Son, you're going to have to leave. Father, you mean leave all this uninterrupted glory? You mean leave all the blessings and benefits of our communion where in Trinity we have no need of another person? We are completely self-subsistent, self-existent? Yes, said the Father, you must leave. And what will I do? You will go to time-space planet. You will go down there and you will become a human fetus. A fetus? Go through a birth canal? Yes, that's what you will do. And then what? Then you will live and then you will die. He did not consider equality with God something to be held on to because he had a higher priority than seeking his uninterrupted glory. He was seeking sinners. I was just amazed when I heard that by Alistair Beggs. I had never heard it stated that way. I don't know if you've heard it stated that way, but then it was everywhere. It was everywhere. Every, every study that I did in the Word and, and with other pastors, R.C. Sproul says it this way. God purposed it, Jesus procured it, the Holy Spirit applied it. Mark Jones, in his book, God Is, used Ephesians 3, 1, 3 through 14, and said it this way. The works of God toward us are grounded in the Father's eternal love toward us in Christ, in which he elects us. The Son becomes incarnate, and we are saved by his work for us in our stead. And the Holy Spirit <coughs> applies, <coughs> excuse me, applies the work of Christ to us, endowing us with all spiritual blessings in Christ. Don Stewart said it this way, the Father creates, the Son redeems, and the Holy Spirit sets apart. Yet they perform these roles in full cooperation with the other members. In each operation, all three members are present. The Father is willing, the Son accomplishing, the Spirit applying. That is the goal of our weekend, ladies, to spend time looking afresh at just a few of the names and the titles of this wonderful, glorious, unsearchable, invited to know, triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
Well, I want to begin first in Exodus 34 because this is this chapter just jumped out of my Bible and I thought, Lord, there they all are, those names that you want me to share with the ladies. They're all in this same passage. So let me begin reading in verse 4. Oh, thank you. Is it okay if I shut this? It's just a little cold on my tricky back. Oh, never mind. Don't worry about it. Thank you. Thank you. Look at three such wonderful ladies. They all just popped up to hell. Wouldn't it be fun if that's the way it was with kids? <laughs> yes, Mommy, let me help you right now. <laughs> Thank you, girls. <laughs> What's that? No, we were, I was thanking you. And I was thinking of what an amazing daughter Mary Lynn has raised, that you just jumped to it. <laughs> I was talking about how fun it would be if kids reacted that quickly to our every need, right? Okay. Exodus in Exodus 34, the background for this is Israel's been miraculously and victoriously led out of Egypt. You already know this story. Moses is their leader, and they've crossed the Red Sea. And now they've witnessed the defeat of their enemies. Um, God has led them through the wilderness. He's provided water and food. And they are, they, he's brought them to Mount Sinai. God has manifested himself to them in the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. And he has um, invited Moses up to the mountain. And he, Moses has now received the covenant. God is making a covenant, a promise with his people. And then there is a ruckus in the camp. And God tells Moses they've already turned away. And Moses comes down. He is angry. He throws those two tablets of the covenant and breaks them. And then the people sorrow and are afraid, and they are punished. Some die from the sword. Some die from a plague. And then, once again, God renews his covenant with his people in grace and mercy. And he invites Moses to come back up. And that's where we're going to start in verse 4. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. And he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Then the Lord said, behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels, such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is awesome. 
I don't know if you noticed, you've probably already been taught, and you know, in any kind of gathering like this, I'm sorry, some of you are major theologians. You have studied hard, and you know this already. Please don't close your ears. There's always some that are brand new in the faith, and this is all fresh. And so finding that middle ground where we can where we can hear the word and, and not close our ears because it's so familiar. So anyway, if you look at verse 6, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. If you look carefully there, you're going to see the word Lord multiple times. And if you notice, it's all in caps, right? Okay, and then you see God, and then if you look down on in verse 9, your translation probably has written Lord again, only this time it's not in all caps. Do you see that? There's a uh, capital L and O-R-D. Well, those are all three different names for God. And in there, we also see his attributes, mercy, patience. Love, faithfulness, um, um, his justice, and his um, righteousness. We see all of that in that passage. Just God himself is saying, this is who I am. But I want us to focus on those three names. God, Lord in caps, and Lord with just the initial capital letter. So we're going to start with God. That's the first name for our Heavenly Father that we see in the scriptures. It's in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is 2,600 times in the Old Testament. It is 32 times in chapter 1 of Genesis. God... In Hebrew or Arabic, sorry, it's a L. Sorry, let me back up. God in this is Elohim. Elohim. Elohim is the plural form of L. L is a Semitic term. And I thought Semitic always meant Hebrew or Jewish. It doesn't. It actually is Hebrew, Arabic, Aramaic, and Phoenician. So El is what they called God, their gods, magistrates. The Hebrews took El and added the Heme to the end, Elohim, which is plural. And, you know, some people have said, oh, there it is, the Trinity. Well, God, in his infinite wisdom, may have been hinting at the Trinity, but that's probably not the meaning of that. When the Hebrews added the heme, they meant here is God in his supremacy, his preeminence over all others. The fullness of his divine power as seen and revealed most clearly in creation. Elohim created. Chapter 1 of Genesis, it's like I said, it was... God is mentioned 32 times. God made light, night, day, sky, earth, seas, land, plants, 
trees, sun, moon, stars, creatures of the sea, birds, and land creatures. He spoke the world into being. By his might and power, he created all things. <clears throat> he gave, a, he pre prepared a world suitable for inhabitation. Food in abundance, absolutely no sin, no death, no sickness, no sorrow, no fighting, no troubles, no COVID, no evil, just God's glory and power on display. His omniscience, his omnipotence. Even though he knew we would choose to rebel, he chose to create anyway. That should stir our souls. He wanted us with him. Psalm 19, 1-4, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Look at that. <clears throat> night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the world. That voice that says, Know me. I'm the creator of all of this. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his, ex his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. All of creation shouts his glory. From the tiniest, who was talking about that planet, the small planet? From those tiniest little things to these glorious mountains and the universe and the meteor shower that was, is going on in these nights. Um, they all shout his glory. And God created mankind in his own image. He created the male and female. We are image bearers of the Lord God who made us. God ordained that mankind was to rule over the animals and to tend the garden that he had planted. God gave man authority to tend and care for his creation. Our creator God, Elohim, not only created us, but made us for purpose and plan. He planted that beautiful garden, brought Adam into it, gave him the authority to name the animals. And yet they rebelled, pridefully resentful, and easily deceived, like you were saying, easily deceived, into believing that their creator God was withholding the one thing that would make them like God. So they took the fruit and ate, and the fruit, and, and then death was born. But remember, before the foundation of the world, that triune God, eternal, immutable, all-powerful, knew the choice we would make and made us anyway. And they knew how they would redeem us. God the Father purposed. God the Son procured. God the Holy Spirit applies. Do you know that before the foundation of the world, you were on his heart? You were on his lips? He made you, he created you, and he made a purpose and plan for your life. And it was to glorify him, to make him known. I love Acts 17 when Paul's talking to 
Um, I think he's talking to the Athenians. <clears throat> the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their boundaries, their appointed times in history. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. God created and ordained the time of your birth, the place where you would be born, the people of your family, your heritage, all of that was planned as the optimal moment for you to reach out and seek him and know him and find him. That is how powerful our God is that he could do that for each one of us. <clears throat> our Elohim, creator God, is mighty and powerful and knows exactly where he wants us. How many of you thought that was true this last year? <laughs> what a year. Lives have stopped and changed. God knew that this would be the year we would live for his great purpose and plan, whether we liked it or not. Psalm 139, 13 to 16 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You know, our, it says in the King James Version, I was curiously wrought. Do you know what that means? Embroidered. When I read that, I just bawled like a baby. I was embroidered. <laughs> you know, and I know that's a figurative thought, but you know, the fact that God loved you so much, we women are just the worst. I mean, I shouldn't say that because maybe it's just me, but <laughs> I'm guessing I'm cut from similar cloth, even though I only raise boys. I feel like my whole entire life I haven't been comfortable in my skin. I don't have the right shape. I don't have good thighs. I have big knees. I don't have... And, uh, and now as I'm aging, I have this and facial hair and yeah, baby, it's great. And that constant complaint, instead of rethinking that, God formed you. He created you with abilities, gifts, things he wanted you to have for this time and place. I mean, that is such love. Spurgeon said it this way, embroidered with great skill is an accurate poetical description of the creation of veins, sinews, muscles, nerves. What tapestry can equal the human fabric? <laughs> 
This work is wrought as much in private as it has been accomplished in the grave or in the darkness of the abyss. The expressions are poetical, beautifully veiling, though not absolutely concealing the real meaning, God's intimate knowledge of us from our beginning, and even before it is here most charmingly set forth. And Spurgeon goes on to help application here. Cannot he who made us thus wondrously when we were not still carry on his work of power till he has perfected us, though we feel unable to aid in the process and are lying in great sorrow and self-loathing as though cast into the lowest parts of the earth? Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That, for we are his workmanship. That's handiwork. Again, it's the fabric. Isn't that beautiful? We are his handiwork. He put us together for the purpose and plan that he has, the good works that he's already prepared for you to walk in. We have a wonderful Elohim God who created us and gives us purpose and plan for our life. What would it change in our life if we pondered and meditated on that every day? That there's purpose and plan in my day today. That I am his beloved. That he wove me together for his plan. That I am beautiful to him. What would that change? It's been a test this last year, hasn't it? We were placed on this soil for this precise moment, ladies. Let's be sure we're worshiping and trusting our Elohim God. The second name that we're going to look at, at, and you've probably heard this before, is Yahweh. Yahweh, whenever you see that in your Bible, it is the capital L-O-R-D, all caps. And it was a sacred name to the Jews, and pious Jews would never even pronounce it. They would use another name for God, capital L, lowercase, Adonai, in place of Yahweh. But that is the name God gave himself. It is a proper name for God, and it occurs in your Bible. You'll see it is occurring as early as Genesis 2-4. The first five books of the Bible are written by Moses, and so he of course, is referring to Yahweh. and But we first hear it in exchange with God and Moses in Exodus 3. And God does not need a name. It is condescension to us that he gives himself a name so we can know him. John Piper said, God aims to be known not just as a deity, but as a specific person with a name that carries his unique character, and mission. We first see the name Yahweh in the Bible when man enters the biblical narrative. That is God revealing himself as a personal, covenant-keeping God. What he says, he will do. I am who I am. 
So Moses is out shepherding. You know the story. He sees the burning bush. He draws near, and God says, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. And God tells Moses, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I am the covenant-keeping God. God had told Abraham to leave his country, promising to make him a great nation, and through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. And he would keep his covenant of love with these people. Moses, God tells Moses he's seen the affliction of the people in Egypt, and he says, you're going to be the one to go. And Moses, you know, of course says, well, I don't know. And then he says, well, how will I, what will I tell them? Who said, how, when they ask who sent you, who do I tell them? And God said to Moses, tell them this. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Our Lord, Yahweh, is a covenant-keeping Lord. All of the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. I am. What does that mean? Well, not only does it mean he's a covenant-keeping God, it means that he exists. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God exists, always has. There was never a beginning. There, was n there will never be an end. That I don't think our minds can wrap around. That self-existence of our God. He's completely independent. Think of how many things, I mean, we think we're independent. You know, you get to be 18, and you get to do all the things you've been wanting to do, and you find out, oh, well, that wasn't really as much fun as I thought it was going to be. And, <clears throat> but we're dependent. We're dependent on air. We're dependent on food. We're dependent on love. We're dependent on a myriad of things. God is completely independent, and yet he loves us. Daniel, I love this line. 
He's speaking to Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son, and he says, And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which you do not see or hear or know, and the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Daniel 5.23 Yahweh, I am who I am. He is the self-existent, independent one. And we are completely dependent on him. I think we need to spend time each day thinking, Lord, I'm dependent on you. I am dependent on him to do this, this job that I'm doing right now. Oh, ladies, we need him. The second thing, I am who I am. The second thing I'm going to share. There's probably a million things. Um, Reveals God's unchangeableness, his immutability. We change all the time. Mm -hmm. Don't these tell you? Man, I used to have tight skin like, who did I hug earlier? (laughs) Christina. Beautiful (laughs) tight skin. (laughs) I used to have tight skin. We change all the time. We're growing old even as we sit here. We change our opinions. You know, we... We hear a tidbit from someone and suddenly we look at somebody differently. God never changes. The same God that spoke the world into being is the same God who is walking with us every day. He is immutable. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will not and cannot change because he is who he is in essence. Malachi 3.6 says, I, the Lord, do not change So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Unchangeable. James 1.16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Brothers, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. How would it change you if every day you pondered your never-changing, self-existing, completely independent, covenant-keeping, faithful to his promises, God? Are we in awe of him, desiring that no sin comes to separate us? When we meet trials in their various forms, do we run to our covenant-keeping, promise-keeping, ever-existing Lord God to ask him, the source of all power and energy, to help us, to guide us, to heal us? Do we truly believe he is able? God's ways may be a mystery to us, But on his faithfulness and his unchangeable character, we can trust that he is always, always good. I appreciated so much what you shared last night, Noel, because sometimes it doesn't feel like it. And sometimes we have to run and say, I don't feel this. I love this by Spurgeon. In the worst of times, our great consolation is God. The very name of our covenant God, the Lord, your God, is full of good cheer. 
The Lord your God is Jehovah, the self-existent one, the unchangeable one, the ever-living God who cannot change or be moved from his everlasting purpose. Child of God, whatever you do not have, you have a God in whom you may greatly glory. Having God, you have more than all things, for all things come from him. If everything was blotted out, he could restore it by his will. He speaks, and it is done. He commands, and it does not move. Blessed are you if the God of Jacob is your help and hope. The Lord Jehovah is our righteousness and everlasting strength. Trust him forever. Let the times roll on. They cannot affect our God. Let troubles run like a storm. They will not come close because he is our defense. Jehovah is as much your God as if no other person in the universe could use that covenant expression. All his wisdom, all his foresight, all his power, all his immutability, all of him is yours. Let us rejoice in our possession. Poor as we are, we are infinitely rich in having God. I love that, Vice Virgin. The last name we're going to talk about this morning is Adonai, which is Lord with a capital L. And it's the Hebrew word Adonai, and it was used, as I said earlier, in place of Yahweh. And it means Lord of Lords and Master over all, sovereign in everything. He owns all of his creation. Adonai speaks of relationship, God's total possession, my total submission. Whenever referring to God in this way, it was used submissively and reverently. The Lord Adonai is the sovereign ruler and supreme master of the universe. He is before all, above all, and over all. God of gods and Lord of lords. Lord Adonai has all authority. He rules as he wills, rules according to his own purposes and pleasure. He executes justice for the just, for he is just. Ephesians 1, 11 and 12 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Psalm 115, 1 to 3 says, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Because of your love and faithfulness, why do the nations say, Where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does, you know it, whatever he pleases. Isaiah 46, 10 and 11b says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. He knows what's coming because he plans what's coming, and he performs what he plans. James says, come now, 
you say to today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town. Isn't that funny that he would write it that way? I thought I think that's so funny. Such and such, to such and such a town, and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while, and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Daniel, too, says he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. The Lord, as our supreme master, has the right to demand our obedience and submission. We owe our lives to the sovereign Lord and supreme master of the universe. Consequently, we should give our lives to him totally, subjecting ourselves to his control and rule. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. God, as our sovereign Lord, demands our faithfulness. In Exodus 34, if you read on a little further, I wanted to do this one. I'm just going to touch on it super briefly. The Lord tells his people in verse um, 14, I think it is, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. The Lord Adonai, our sovereign master, demands our faithfulness, and he calls himself jealous. In the Ten Commandments, God commands that we love him with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. John Piper said it this way, and old ladies, this just was like in my mind when he said it. John Piper said the requirement of our faithfulness was not so much a law as a wedding vow. He is the Lord, there is no other. Piper says the reason for tearing down pagan altars in Exodus 34 is to guard their hearts for the Lord alone. The reason for not making covenants with the pagan peoples is to escape the snare of divided loyalties. The commands of the covenant don't describe the services God needs as an employer. They describe the faithfulness he wants from his wife. It's as though he said, okay, here's the mind-blowing one, don't make dates with other men. Don't keep the pictures of your old boyfriends on the dresser, lest they become a snare for you and draw your heart away from me. Isn't that just really something? Our Lord, the creator who wove us together, our covenant-keeping promise God, our master, our sovereign one who ordains our life and plans it, asks one requirement, that we love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and we take down the pictures of our old boyfriends. God is infinitely jealous, this is still Piper, for the honor of his name and responds with terrible wrath against those whose hearts should belong to him but go after other things. 
But for those of you who have been truly united to Christ and who keep your vows to forsake all others and cleave only to him and live for his honor, for you, the jealousy of God is a great comfort and a great hope. Since God is infinitely jealous for the honor of his name, anything and anybody who threatens the good of his faithful wife will be opposed with divine omnipotence. I love that. Philippians 2.10 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As our sovereign Lord and Master, Adonai, can and will provide all things for his servant. He's the one who can meet all the needs of his dear followers, both their spiritual and physical needs. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 9.8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. If he has called you, is your, if your sovereign Lord, your master, your owner, your jealous one, has called you to do something, he will completely equip you to do that. He is a faithful master, equipping us with everything good for doing his will, and he will work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Philippians 1.6, being competent of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And Psalm 138.8, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Trusting the Lord's sovereignty in our lives can be difficult when troubles and sorrows and suffering occur. The loss of a loved one, a divorce, an erring child, loss of a job, feeling neglected, feeling lonely, all of those are difficult to then trust the loving God if we're going through these ch challenging times. I got a chance to go to Cape Henry Bible School and Dr. Alan Redpath, who was just the most wonderful, godly man, was one of my teachers, and he said this, so often the providences of God seem to run completely counter to his promises, but only that he may test our faith only that he may ultimately accomplish his purpose for our lives in a way that he could never do if the path were always smooth. Mm -hmm. There is nothing, no circumstance, no trouble, no testing that can ever touch me until, first of all, it has gone past God and past Christ right through to me. If it has come that far, it has come with great purpose, which I may not understand at the moment, but as I refuse to become panicky, as I lift up my eyes to him and accept it as coming from the throne of God for some great purpose of blessing to my own heart, no sorrow will ever disturb me. No circumstance will cause me to fret, for I shall rest in the joy of what my Father is. That is the rest of victory. 
Ladies, I would love to hear from all of you precious women about what the Lord has brought you through this last year. Because we all have our own set of stories, right? And all the challenges. But God is sovereign. Look at, we're here. He is faithful. He created you. He gives you purpose. He'll keep his promises. He's your Lord. He's your sovereign one. And, you know, I'm just going to close with this one thing. And I think I am over, right? You're good. Am I? Oh, <laughs> praise the Lord. I made you all not as cute as the one that I got in my room. But I made you a bookmark here on just crummy old cardstock, so it's not fancy. I realized as I was sitting there, I should have done a little border or something. It's not even, I mean, I did columns and I did center, but then it doesn't look centered to me. I'll chalk it up to the cutter at Kinko's. Anyway, um, I've written down the names that we're going over on this weekend, and then on the back, I have written down a writing that was that was given to me by my Bible study fellowship leader after my fourth son was born. Okay, I'm going to get it together. Just a minute. I have read this to so many people. I've sent it to so many people over the years. And Irene Baker, who ended, her life ended with her not even remembering that she knew Jesus and that she was a Bible study teacher. Dementia just robs. I'm watching that happen with my own sweet mama. But anyway... I have read this to so many people. I really wanted to share it because Streams in the Desert 2 is very hard to find. It's a really old book. So um, I am sharing it with you, and I hope it will bless you because in times of struggle, this is one of those writings that I bring out, and it is written by D.M. Panton, and this is what I would like to close with today as we've taken this little cup full of water to tell about something so huge we'll never exhaust it. Today is a slender bridge which will bear its own load, but it will collapse if we add tomorrow's. In every year, there are 365 letters from the king each with its own message. Bear this for me. What shall we do with the letters? Open them a day at a time. Yesterday's seal is broken. Lay that letter reverently away. Yesterday's cross is laid down, never to be born again. Tomorrow's letter lies on the table. Do not break the seal. For when tomorrow becomes today, there will stand beside us an unseen figure, and his hand will be on our brow, and his gaze will be in our eyes, as he says with a loving smile, As thy days, so shall thy strength be. The golden summary of our life is to be this. To the past, a record of gratitude. To the present, a record of service. As to the future, a record of trust. Oh Lord, what can we say? 
You are all glorious, worthy of all of our praise, <clears throat> holy, magnificent, transcendent, glorious, all-wise, all-loving, all just. Oh, Lord, we're just scratching at the surface, and you are so kind to condescend to let us know you. Thank you for the invite to join in the wonderful union of you, our triune God. Thank you for being our Elohim, our creator, that embroidered us together with plan and purpose. Thank you for being our Yahweh, for being unchangeable and our faithful covenant promise keeper. Thank you for being our Adonai, our master and our sovereign one with all authority to do as you please because you, what you will do in our life is always good and we trust you when it doesn't feel that way. And I thank you for these precious women, for their strength to come away for this weekend to be with you. I pray, Father, that you will use your Holy Spirit to teach us to apply to our hearts what we need to know this day. And I thank you for this time together. In your glorious name, amen. I don't know how to pass these out, so maybe what I could do is just set it with you. <laughs> there. You're the leader. You can do it. <laughs> Sorry if I went too long.